Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. Um, but as part of all that, I also happen to be, and as po-faced as this may sound, something of a seeker and a searcher. And no, I don't mean a former member of either 60s group, the Seekers or the Searchers. I mean that ever since one particular morning when I was nine years old and something occurred that is too personal to disclose in a podcast, which is ostensibly about celebrity interviews, I've been driven by a need to ask questions that invariably are a variation of the word, why? In fact, when I was 20, I wrote a poem mocking myself in this sense, and that ended with me asking, naturally enough, why I'd bothered to write the poem. Either way, from the start of my career, I imposed what I guess you could call this mild form of neuroses on my poor interviewees. Happily, many were similarly inclined. But the thing is, I didn't set out to become an interviewer. What happened was that in February 1985, I heard that Leonard Cohn, one of my lifelong heroes, was coming to Dublin, and something told me I had to meet and talk with the man. So I asked an Irish magazine editor to commission me to do an interview. I tell this tale in full in my ebook Hallelujah, a conversation with Leonard Cohn. But to sum it up, that chat with Cohn left me feeling so transcendent that I decided I must seek out more of my heroes to talk with. One reason was because I learned so much from talking with Leonard, I felt I must at least try to pass on to readers even one of those lessons. Now, in 2021, I've decided to put together podcasts based on lessons I learned from celebrities, not all of whom, I hasten to add, left me feeling transcendent as a result of our meetings. On the contrary, some left me feeling as if I'd been violated spiritually by simply being in their presence. But let's start with Leonard on March the 1st, 1985. At the time, his latest LP was Various Positions, which... As with all his albums, apart from perhaps Death of a Ladies Man, I loved on first hearing, particularly songs such as Hallelujah, Dance Me to the End of Love, and Night Comes On. However, I did not know at the time that CBS Records in America had refused to release the LP, claiming it was uncommercial. How clever, right? Given that, as I say, the album included Hallelujah, which has since gone on to become the single most commercial recording of Leonard Cohn's career. But while talking with Leonard, I soon sensed that he was feeling dispirited career-wise. So instinctively, and maybe simply because he'd raised my spirit so often, I tried to do the same for him by reminding Leonard that Frank Sinatra, at 50, Cohn's age at the time, had made some of his greatest autumnal albums. I, I, to tell you the truth, I mean, just speaking man to man, I'm really happy that I've still got an audience and that I can still give a concert yeah. and that I can still, you know, send some people home happy. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's hard to survive in this business and there's there are many forces that conspire against a man of 50 singing. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, to me, I don't know, just personally, my father always loved uh, Sinatra. I grew up with that kind of stuff in my ears. And as a teenager, I kind of was uh, close, perhaps, to rock and roll and Presley. But I think when Sinatra turned 50, 
and did the, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to his music. Or I, I love his music. You know? Well, when he did September of My Years, which is still one of my, that to me is a timeless album, he really matured as a singer, as an artist, I don't know if as a man, at 50. And the material, well, not the latter stuff now, but the material between his 50th and maybe 65th birthday, I mean, that is the stuff I will listen to of Sinatra. That's very, where the man fine. took form. Very fine. So, I mean, does that give you inspiration for the next? Well, I mean, surely. See, I've been lucky. I, I, one of my closest friends is a man who's about 25, 30 years older than me. He's a very great poet in Montreal. His name is Irving Layton. And that association has been very nourishing. Aside from the fact we like to drink together and talk together, and he's a real friend. Yeah. I've seen this man of another generation or two generations ahead of me, you know, going through it and moving from strength to strength. And, and that has been a, a real inspiration in my life. And as I told you about Alberta Hunter, to hear an old singer, to hear that whole range of experience in their voice, to know that they know what they're talking about. I mean, there's a 20-year-old wisdom. I mean, there's an 11-year-old wisdom like my son has. There's a 20-year-old wisdom, you know. But I mean, and there is that lyric thing that Browning spoke about, the first fine, careless frenzy. And it is beautiful to hear the Rambo. But there is something about uh, an artist who's maturing and is really speaking from experience. I mean, I, it's great to hear about a 20-year-old's love affair, but it's also very touching to hear about a 50-year-old's yeah. love affair or a 75-year-old man's love affair. No, no, I don't know if you don't, Francis, it's quite, quite understandable. Uh, with regards to the um, I can relate to what you're saying because I've always, firstly, I mean, would you like to say how it did affect you losing your father at nine or is that? Oh, that was you, uh, a big thing for me. It, did it manifest itself in your seeking father figures or? Through the, through, be they artists or in real life or might, it might very well have might never very, might very well tried to trace that. Uh, I've always had a lot of respect for old age. I don't know if it's looking for a father. I don't, I don't really don't think it is that. No. I've just uh, maybe it's kind of some oriental bent of mind that I have. But I've always had this notion, maybe it's also living in Greece, where I came into contact with a lot of older people. Yeah, respect for age. This respect for age. Yeah, yeah. well, I too have that, but I have traced it too. My father left me. He didn't die, as I say, he died recently. But uh, he left me at three stages, at 11, 13, and 14. And I certainly know then, be it through, it was often through directors, writers, poets. But I can't say that it was, had a negative effect because it did lead me, if only second hand, to so much wisdom and to that total abounding respect for age. Yeah. Because there is such an emphasis on youth. I know you said it has its own song, but all the emphasis seems to be, particularly in the sphere I'm working in or we're working in, is on that. Oh, yes. So you well, do have to stand up and say, well, wait a second. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the, the market is, uh, what, 11 to 20 of the people who buy records. So, I mean, you're up against this uh, commercial reality. So, okay, what lessons did I learn from that and hope to pass on to readers of a magazine who were aged between 18 and 35 and which I now would like to pass on? The fact that younger people should perhaps pay attention to the wisdom of the ages or the aged. 
But there was something else Leonard said to me during that interview that made me feel uneasy when it came to my chosen career as a writer. Incidentally, at the time, I wasn't a journalist. I was writing a book based on an article I'd written about the influence Elvis had on my life, and a publisher was interested in the book. So, given that I loved Leonard's novel, The Favourite Game, so much that I'd tried to live it out to write my own version during the 1970s, I sought his advice in terms of a question all creative people must address, namely, what could be called the cannibalistic nature of art and artists. Oh, yeah. this, this is just a question about uh, some themes are best left to analysis via poetry and I can appreciate why you would say we should respect the privacy of the material but though yes you may create a piece in silence surely you yourself violate the silence by publishing that's true that's true uh... because you often don't like uh, particularly of poetry as opposed to song the privacy it comes very near I think you said somewhere violation I think that uh, there's a natural appetite for uh, conversation. I think it was uh, was either Yeats or his father who said that. Do you know the quotation? It's something like, "Poetry is the social act of a solitary man." I've heard the quotation. I can't trace it to the father or something. I don't remember yeah. who said it. I know it was someone in Ireland who said it. Yeah. Uh, you know, men have been talking to each other this way uh, for a long time. Uh, it says in the Bible, it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, we are meant to talk to one another. And there are all kinds of conversations. And one of the conversations is that conversation that takes place on the page of a book. It's very different from a song. Yeah. Uh, it's very private. But, well, that is just something that interests me, and it's the reason I've held back. I've been offered publication by one Irish publisher, which is a hugely autobiographical, it's a blend of poetry, prose, every kind of thing. But just that element of actually putting it on the page leaves oneself. I'm just afraid I've become totally vulnerable to, and this is what I was wondering how. I, I think you should do it. I think you should do it, myself. Uh... Well, there's also the uh, thing of the family. Surely one has to be responsible for the pain, like uh, you say, the death of a lady's man, names have changed. I mean, but I don't know that, that that would be enough to avoid causing pain or embarrassment or whatever. And I, and I wonder, is the work worth that? Well, that's a decision that nobody can make, but it is, it is uh, a consideration that has stopped a lot of people from writing. And I think that it may qualify you as a decent man, but it doesn't qualify you as a writer. There's no reason that a writer has to be a decent man. There is an yeah. element of ruthlessness, because you've got to write about the things that you know. Well, there seems to be a huge element almost of cannibalism, you know, that, that, that you want yeah, us to... vampirism, cannibalism. Yeah. One kill, kill one's grandmother for a story, you know you better produce the story if you do Yeah, I think that, you know, that there's a certain degree of discretion that you might wait for a little while if, you know, if the lady's going to be hurt. Yeah. Uh, there is... Have you had that accusation? You obviously would have with regards to... I, I have. Uh, my family was very hurt when I published The Favourite Game, which was about growing up in Montreal. Yeah. 
Is that why you had to disclaim and say it was an autobiographical later? Or, or do you still say that? Or would, or would you well, prefer that was still I, say? I, I say that the, the context is autobiographical, but the content is not yeah. specifically okay. autobiographical. It was your mother was, was hurt toward the my mother, my mother was hurt less than my uncles and some other members of my family. But I, there's also a beautiful um, mechanism that sometimes operates. For instance, uh, a friend of mine whose husband is a well-known writer, she wrote a book, they, they divorced. She later wrote a book about their marriage, and she described this guy in the most brutal way, probably even an accurate way. Yeah. Anybody who read the book knew it was about him. She showed him the book, and he praised it highly. He praised it in the press highly. And people said to him, you know, how can you praise this book? It's so obviously about you. He said, are you mad? This character has nothing to do with me. Why did that exchange leave me feeling uneasy? Well, Leonard had suggested that art may matter more than the people whose lives it cannibalizes. But let's leave it there. And if you want to check out my ebook, Hallelujah, A Conversation with Leonard Cohn, it's available, as they say, wherever good ebooks are sold and bad. Thanks for listening.